Um, and although I think grace comes up in what I, I'm going to say, I probably hadn't thought specifically about uh, referring to grace, but I will just say this about grace, which I've said before because it's very real for me. When I, very early on, when I had uh, taken on Beacon and I was walking down the road from St. Martin's Church, just down Tulse Hill towards Brixton, past Tulse Hill Estate, I just remember thinking, what this area needs is to understand the grace of God more than anything else. Because lots of people around here will have lots and lots of views about God. They will be, some of those views will be um, quite religious. Some of those views will be about God being distant. Uh, some of those views will be about God being a disciplinarian. Um, and there won't be many views that understand God as a gracious father. And uh, it's quite big for me that, that we present God in that way, that we recognise um, that God will respond to us in the very opposite way we imagine. And that's what Joseph did with his brothers. He, he responded in a way that they would never have thought. Suddenly he was filled with grace towards them. And so that, that word that was brought just really uh, sort of just spoke to me. And uh, thank you for, for, for bringing that. So we're looking at Genesis 39. I'm going to read uh, the, the passage to us and then we'll get straight into uh, what God has to say to us. So Genesis chapter 39, uh, we began looking at Joseph last week. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Uh, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph, he left in Joseph, Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants Look, she said to them, 
This Hebrew has been brought to, to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those, who held, all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful again that you have spoken. And Lord, we are not in any sense wanting to become over-familiar with your voice, but rather to continue to be thirsty for your voice, for you to continue to speak to us, to show us things. And Lord, we recognise each week that we come that we have an opportunity to hear from you, to be encouraged by you, to be strengthened in you, to be healed in you, to be restored in you. And Father, it's my prayer that today, like many days, we would not miss that opportunity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Last week we began to open up this uh, series on Joseph. It's the end of Genesis and we're looking at it. And I've said that the, the series that we're doing, we've, we've called it, or I've called it, um, Joseph, God meant it for good, which were the words that Joseph spoke right at the end of the scenario when he once again displays grace to his brothers. And we looked at the fact that Joseph is a wonderful example to us. He's, a, he's, a, he's an example of good character, but actually it's much more than that. And if we only never understood Joseph in terms of character, we would miss something of the story. We understood that, that the most important relationship in this story is between Joseph and his brothers and what God is doing in Joseph and what God is doing in the brothers. And it's the key relationship. It's the thing that takes us through the story. Why? Because Joseph and his brothers were, were, were the chosen people of God. They, they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And when you read about the brothers, you begin to wonder, how on earth does God use them? They're not great. They're not great examples, of, but God changes them. God works in them. And the third thing we looked at and we'll look at over these weeks is the fact that, that this whole story about Joseph and his brothers going to Egypt was all part of the plan of God. So, so when Joseph said God meant it for good, at one level he's talking about his own situation, but also there's this bigger picture. God made a promise to Abraham that he would bless him and that he would be a blessing and that all nations would be blessed through him, and it was always part of the plan that God would gather a people. And he started with Abraham. He began, he, he carried on with his son Isaac. He carried on with his son Jacob, and then the 12 brothers who move into Egypt. It's all part of the big plan. 
the big story. And we need to understand it as a big story. And we know where that big story goes and that, and that Joseph's brothers, we talked last week a little bit about the fact that Joseph's brothers tried to kill the very person who, was, who had been set apart to save them. Yeah? They tried to kill him. They wanted him out the way. They were jealous of him. And we remembered the fact that many, many years later, other people tried to kill somebody who was set apart to save them. And we looked at the fact that Joseph managed to fulfill his, his destiny in God, never having been in control of anything. Joseph not once was his own boss. Even when he, he's given all this power and authority, he is definitely a man under authority. He never at any point does his own thing. He's completely subject to other people. And yet, in that, he fulfills his destiny. And that was quite powerful because you think how many of us make our own decisions about what we would do. And how many of us go, oh, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go here. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to say... And we often caveat it with, oh, I think God has said or whatever. But actually, when it came to Joseph, there isn't one point where you see him go, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and do this. At every point, he is led by. His circumstances dictate what he does, and in so doing, he fulfills everything God has called him to. So we come to this particular passage, and, and obviously you'll know, if you've, you, you don't even need to have been church around much, you need to have known about Joseph and his technicolor dream coat to understand this particular passage, um, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And we often hear that story <coughs> And on first reading, you look at that and you think, oh, okay, today I was going to talk about sexual temptation because that's what this particular story is about and how do you avoid it and all those types of things. However, this week I've, I've just been sort of encouraged by a couple of people to, to, I suppose, take a bit of a step back. Oh, no, I sensed it in my spirit and it was confirmed a bit. But to take a bit of a step back and take a slightly different approach and to... And to call this talk, if I don't often name talks, I try to, but I don't often get good names. Um, but, and I really have boring names, and this is another boring name. To call this particular talk, <laughs> the Lord was with Joseph. <laughs> I'm so clever. I'm such a creative person. Do you know what? In the past, I used to be more creative than that, but I've lost all that creativity. Yeah. But the Lord was with Joseph. And... And really, to emphasize, I want to emphasize that. And in everything I say today, I want to emphasize the Lord was with Joseph. And you'll understand why as, as we go on. But I think that's the key thing here. It, it sandwiches what happens. The first six verses of chapter 39, it tells us the Lord was with Joseph, and therefore he prospered. And the last few verses of chapter 39 tell us the Lord was with Joseph. So everything that happens, happens within that context. We need to understand that. So firstly, and again, I've been really, really clever in terms of my points. The first point is the Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. It's really, really creative. So when Joseph is, is thrown, uh, he's sold by his brothers, we can't begin to imagine what he must be feeling on that journey to, uh, to Egypt. I, I don't know whether he's feeling resentment or hatred or fear or whatever he's feeling, but he ends up being sold to Potiphar. And uh, he ends up going in to Potiphar's house uh, as a slave. But the Lord was with him, and therefore he prospered. Which basically meant he did well. 
He had a job and he did well at that job and he stood out. And it wasn't because he himself was particularly clever. It was because the Lord was with him. Now, it is interesting that when you think back, and I I talked about last week, that one of the characteristics you pick up in Joseph, even when he was with his brothers back in Canaan, was he was trustworthy. He was trustworthy because his father, I mean, he brings a bad report about his brothers. We often think, oh, he's a bit of a snitch. But it might be that he had a real reason for doing that. It's not clear. Secondly, his father says to him, go and find your brothers and come and tell me how they're doing. He trusts him. So there's something about Joseph that is trustworthy, and this comes out, now he's at Potiphar's house. Because he's in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar eventually trusts him with everything he has. Now again, if you've ever seen Joseph in his Chetney Gully dream coat, you know that Potiphar is depicted as a, as a large man. And why? Because it says that, that he didn't care for anything apart from the food he ate. What a life. I could live that life. <coughs> I do live that no I don't <laughs> so, he's, so, so he's there with Potiphar and he he's prospers he's successful and because of his success he finds favour he doesn't seek favour he finds it yeah God brings him favour you know what it's like you're in the office you're in a job and you're with lots of other people and there's always a little tiny tiny temptation to try and seek favour with your boss yeah, I'll do this. You know, did he know? Oh, no, he didn't know. I'll just do it a bit. No, don't seek favour. God will give you favour. Yeah, God will give you favour. God is with you. One of the ways you find favour is you're trustworthy. You're trustworthy. So Joseph was successful and he found favour and also he's fulfilling the promise made to Abraham because Potiphar is blessed because of Joseph. <coughs> That's what God said to Abraham. You know, you'll be a blessing. You know, other people will be blessed because of you. And here we see it in the sort of, in a micro sense, in the life of Joseph. He blessed Potiphar. God blesses Potiphar because of Joseph. In some ways, you could say Joseph fell on his feet. He's a slave, but actually he's doing well. And he must have come out thinking, oh, this isn't too bad. You know, I'm, you know I now head up this household. You know, I'm trusted with stuff. The things that my brothers hated me for are loved here. They love me here. Isn't it great? Joseph could have felt that. But the Lord was not only with Joseph in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph when Potiphar's wife came to him. The Lord was with Joseph. So I was thinking about this and asking this question. Is this particular passage really about temptation. You know, I read every commentary I read, it's about temptation, and Joseph was tempted. But do you know what? When you read the story, it's not clear that Joseph is actually tempted by her. Yeah, it's not clear that he desired her, and he was like, oh my goodness me, no. It's not clear that that's what he does. Is it not really about harassment? Joseph comes under harassment in the house of Potiphar by Potiphar's wife. He's harassed. He may well have been tempted to give in, but he would have been tempted to give in because he's harassed. Because in the end, there's not a lot he can do. It's clear that she desires him, and it's clear that that desire is sexual. Hence, it talks about he's well-built and handsome. 
But it's not clear that he felt the same. There is something about being harassed in the house. And I think it talks about that more explicitly than it talks about temptation. And in fact, if you only think about this passage in terms of temptation, you miss some of the damage that harassment does to people. And when people get damaged by harassment and they don't deal with it, that can become very, very negative. Yeah? See, all of us can be tempted. Yeah, I can be tempted, you can be tempted in situations. Now, it's not often your, you know, your boss's wife comes running up. It's not, that's not, that doesn't happen all the time. Yeah? So if we simply talked about that, there might be one or two people, oh, I know that temptation. Yeah? I don't know that temptation, yeah, thankfully. Um, so it's not always that type of thing. But what you do find is Potiphar's wife abuses her position and authority to harass Joseph. So although Joseph talks about, um, you know, no one is greater in this house other than me, she is. She's greater. She's the only person in that house who could bring Joseph down. Yeah? She had the power, the authority, and the opportunity to bring him down. No one else could have done that. Lesser slaves could not have brought him down. Only the wife could have done that in this particular situation. And so she abuses her position. And so I want to just talk a little bit about, you know, we're talking about this big picture, the Lord is with Joseph, but I want to talk a little bit about harassment. Yeah? Because although the Bible doesn't ever use that term, yeah, the reality of our lives is many of us understand what, what I'm talking about. And some of us understand what it is to be sexually harassed. Some of us are just harassed, we're bullied. Yeah? And we, we're trying to find a way out, but we feel a little bit trapped. And, and often the way we deal with it is we ignore it because we think, oh, if I start to think about that, I don't know where that actually leads. I don't know where that actually goes. But I'm going to talk about Joseph as though he were harassed rather than he were tempted. And they are different, and they lead to different um, endpoints. Now, I looked up the definition of harassment, sexual harassment. This is what it says. And you'll see that it makes much more sense. Sexual harassment is bullying or coercion of a sexual nature or the unwelcome or inappropriate promise of rewards in exchange for sexual favours. In most modern legal contexts, sexual harassment is illegal. The incident of sexual harassment may vary in a variety of circumstances, but often, but not always, the perpetrator is in a position of power or authority over the victim. And that might be due to differences in age, social, political, or education, or employment, or it simply might be a physical difference. I've, I'm more powerful than you, so I can harass you. So often, so that is a definition of harassment. Harassment, there's a number of things about it I just want to mention. First of all, we read it here, it's a sexual thing. People get harassed because of their sex. Joseph was harassed because of his sex. Joseph was apparently well-built and handsome, and as a result, Potiphar's wife desired him. Yeah? And she used her power as the wife of the, of the, the householder to make the most of that. She uses her power to do that. She lusted after him. She didn't desire, she didn't want like, to, you know, to marry Joseph or become his great friend. You can tell that because of the way she responds when he resists. But actually, 
she, she responds to him. It's, her, it's a sexual thing. Secondly, it's a power thing. As I just read in that def- definition, and again, as I said, regarding Potiphar's wife, she had power over, over Joseph. She had a responsibility. She had authority that he couldn't argue with. He couldn't ch- ch- chuck her out. He, could, he tried to reason with her, but he, there wasn't a lot he could do. Third, thirdly, it's a constant thing. One of the definitions about sexual harassment is it can be a one-off situation, but often it's repetitive. Often it just keeps going. And it might be that it's comment after comment after comment after comment, and you realise, oh, every comment they make is a bit like this. And again, Joseph, it's day after day after day after day after day. She's saying to him, come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. Fourthly, harassment is a destructive thing. You see, as a victim of harassment, and you can read about this with Joseph, he's in a no-win situation. He, he doesn't win either way. Every which way he looks at it, he's going to lose here. And he does lose. Sometimes you try and fight back, and then you just get bullied more. Sometimes you raise it and people ignore it. Often, somebody can be harassed, and as a result, they have to make changes to accommodate the fact that they're being harassed. You have to change the way you behave. I remember, I've not been sexually harassed uh, before, but I was harassed. There was a, um, uh, I was, uh, maybe I was in my early 20s, I can't remember how old I was, but, but I, it was early days of me working in the city of London, and I used to walk from my home to the station, and there was a guy, I think he was a homeless guy, that um, I think at first he just used to come up to me, and he used to always ask me for money. And then it became a bit of an issue where he was always coming up to me and, 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 and quite aggressively coming up to me and asking for money. And then I remember one occasion, I'm walking home, and I must have been like 50 metres away. He saw me and he ran towards me. Yeah? He ran towards me. And it wasn't to embrace and say hi. It was to harass me. And I realised at that point, oh, I, I, I need to do something because if I don't do something about this, this is just going to go on. And I'm going to have to find new ways to walk to the station. I'm going to find new ways to do things in order to accommodate the fact that this guy was harassing me. So on that occasion, I, 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 I mustered all my courage to be a bit more aggressive back and I spoke to him my best patois and he left me alone after that. <laughs> yeah? Or my rubbish patois. And he probably thought, I don't understand you. So he, but he left me alone after that. But you can feel, as a victim of harassment, that you're like, that's, oh, how, how do I get around this? Even though you've not done anything wrong. Joseph hadn't done anything wrong, and you, you can hear him trying to explain to Potiphar's wife, no, no, how can I do that? How can I go down that road with you when I've been given everything to, to sort of look after, and then you're just coming at me with this? How does that happen? It's often the case, as I said, that the offender has power over the victim. Joseph finds that not only does he have all his duties to contend with, he has the extra pressure of trying to avoid Potiphar's wife. And although no doubt he was physically stronger, she held all the aces. She held all the aces in her hand. You see, we rarely see the story of Joseph about being harassed. And therefore, when I think about it as temptation, you know, 
and I think, oh, the answer to temptation is run, I think, yeah, fair enough. But harassment, it's, it's not as simple as that. Yeah? He does run, but there are other things that he does which I think are also helpful. So many, many of us, and it's mainly women, can live with the effects of harassment. And for some people, it can be devastating. For Joseph, it's what put him in prison. In the end, it's the harassment that puts him in prison. How does he handle it? Well, he, we see this. He doesn't entertain it. When she talks to him, he refuses, and he tells her why he's refusing. No, I can't do that. You know, my master's given me responsibility. He trusts me. I can't do that. You're his wife, for goodness sake. And he goes on, not only are you his wife, I could, how could I ever sin against God like that? How could I ever do that? So he gives three reasons. I've been given responsibility. You're his wife. I could never sin against God like that. He doesn't give in to it, even though she spoke to him daily. You know, sometimes something happens to you every day, and you can, after a while, just get used to it. You can just think it's normal. You can accommodate it. You can live with it. He does not give in to it. He avoids the situations that lead to him being harassed as much as he can. But obviously, he's carrying out his daily duties, and it's there that she traps him and gets him. So Joseph is harassed, but the Lord was with him. And that's really important for us to understand because we can sometimes think, but if I'm being harassed like that, where's God in all of that? Now, we know from this story, and therefore we can know for our own lives, that God was with Joseph. In everything that went, he went through, God was with him. Thirdly, the Lord was with him, even though he was treated unjustly and unfairly. And this is the other thing. Joseph is the one who is harassed. Joseph is the one who is being um, uh, put under pressure, and yet the results of it are he's the one that goes to prison. That's unjust. That is unfair. That is wrong. He should never have gone to prison for that. He should never have lost his job for that. And yet that is what happened. And what do we find Joseph does? Because that situation, when we're in that type of situation, where something, you know, I've been wronged, and then as a result of my wrong, I am punished, we struggle with that. We struggle with that big time. Yeah? And what happens is we become, um, you know, we almost become like, okay, I've got to fight this injustice. I've got to fight this inequality. I've been treated wrong. What about other people who might be treated wrong? I have to fight this. And do you know what? Had Joseph done that, he would have got distracted. He'd have got distracted. He wouldn't have dealt with stuff. What does Joseph do as a result of the harassment? At one level, he does nothing. Probably because he has no voice. In the end, he's a slave. Every bit of authority he has has been given to him. He has nothing. So when, so when Potiphar says, throws him into prison, it, there's no appeal process. You don't see Joseph writing letters to, the, to, to Pharaoh saying, um, look, this is what happened to me. It was wrong. I was wrongly accused. He does nothing. But also, you can sense through, the, through it that he submits to the process. He submits to what happens. 
You find Joseph doesn't blame God for his harassment and for the situation that led, led to after. He doesn't blame God for that. Why? Maybe he supposes, maybe he understands, even at this point, that sometimes God's plans are in there, but they work out for good in the end. Maybe he thinks that. Maybe that's why he doesn't blame God. Maybe he doesn't look to God and say, this is your fault. You don't, you don't sense that that's what he does. Thirdly, he doesn't blame the circumstances. He doesn't think, oh, if I'd only never been brought here, I'd never be in this. You don't find him doing that. He doesn't even blame Potiphar or his wife. Now think about that for a moment. How you would feel, maybe you've been harassed, and as a result of your harassment, you have had negative comeback. The temptation to blame. The temptation to get angry or to try and get even, to get revenge. And even if you can't do anything in your heart, you're, you're, in your heart you're revengeful. Yet with Joseph, we don't sense that. You don't sense that he got bitter or resentful. He does get down. He does get down. And when he gets to prison, we find that he seems to carry on where he left off. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered him in the prison. So the Lord is with him when he goes into the prison. And I think it's so important for us, first of all, to recognise, oh yeah, yeah, harassment happens and it, and it may have even happened to me. Because if you don't recognise it, you won't deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, what happens when things go wrong for you, when you are treated unfairly, when you are treated unjustly, is you can become bitter. And you can become sidetracked, yeah? And you become sidetracked, and the very thing that has been used to harass you, you go, oh, I've got to tackle that thing. Your mission becomes. How many times do you hear people where something unjust happens in their family? Maybe there's been some tragedy. Maybe there's been a murder and their child or something has happened and then they turn and go, right, I'm going to fight that thing. Yeah? Do you know what? In terms of the purposes of God, that is a distraction. I'm not saying injustice is it's not something that we should fight. But more than that, God fights injustice. Not you, not me. Part of the prophecy that came earlier said this, there is nothing you can do about your circumstances. Only God can change things. I read in Daniel this morning where Daniel, um, where, where King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and uh, he's disturbed by his dream and he calls all his wise men together and he says, I need somebody to interpret my dream. They say, yeah, 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 just tell us the dream. He says, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me the dream, then tell me the interpretation. And they say, no one can do that, king. Oh, king, oh, great. Well, no one can do that. And Daniel hears about it because he's about to kill all the wise men. And Daniel comes and he says, he, says, he says to the king, no one can do that, but God can do that. God alone can do that. So this is not about Daniel. This is about Daniel saying, God can do that. God, God can give me your, what your dream is and he can tell me your interpretation. And he does that very thing. Only God can change your circumstances. You and I think we can. You and I think, you know, some of you are very clever. You're bright and you've got lots of energy. You think, oh, I can do stuff here. You can't do anything. Sorry, you can't do anything. Only God can make a change in your circumstances. Only God can really change your heart. Only God can really make a way for you. Either you trust him or you don't trust him. Either you'll go the full way with what he wants or you'll just go part way with what you want. 
in the end, and Joseph's story shows that. He can't do anything about his situation. It goes from bad to worst. He's mistreated, he's treated unfairly, and he goes into prison. But what he doesn't do is become distracted by the injustice that had been meted out upon him. That's so important that we hear that. Don't be distracted by injustice. Don't be distracted by unfairness. I'm not saying those things aren't, aren't things that we need to sort of bring to God, but don't let them become distractions because in the end, they take you away from what he's doing in you. So then we find when he gets into the prison, the Lord is with him. And it's almost like it's repeated. That particular part is repeated in order to emphasize through all these difficulties, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. So if you have suffered, if you have suffered at the hands of somebody who had power and authority over you, if you have suffered at the hands of somebody who was jealous of you, please note the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And he will bring you through. The Lord being with you does not mean you don't go through difficulties. The Lord being with you does not, does not mean success only looks like one thing. The Lord being with you is what happened to Joseph. In those years, what does God pour into his heart? What did that prophetic word talk about? It talked about God filled his heart with grace and compassion so that when he eventually comes out, he responds to his brothers in a way that you would never, ever would, would have imagined. How could anyone respond like Joseph did when his brothers sold him into slavery? How could he ever go, do you know what, guys? I forgive you. Not only that, I will, I, it says he speaks kindly towards them. How could anyone ever do that if God hadn't done something in their hearts so that they come out, and rather than coming out with anger, they come out with grace? I don't know whether he's a Christian, Nelson Mandela, but that is a man who knows grace. I'm telling you, he's a man who understands grace. Because he was put in prison wrongly for 27 years. I went to South Africa, I went to Robben Island, I went to the cell that he lived in, and I went to the place where, do you know what he did? He broke down rocks. For years, he just broke down rocks. 20-odd years later, he comes out, and what does he say? This is not about me. We want a united South Africa. Where does that come from? I don't know whether in his heart he's acknowledging God, but where does that kind of grace come from? Because even the people in his own party were going, what? This is our time now. Surely, Nelson. He's like, no, 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 no. This is not about your time or my time. Grace. Grace is an amazing thing. And God gives us grace. His grace is sufficient for us. It's not to say you become a doormat, but it is to say that in your heart, you know where you go. It's in your heart you know where you go. You might need to do some stuff, but in your heart, you know where you go. You don't resent. You don't hate. You don't revenge. You don't get angry. You deal with that stuff. Because it's only because Joseph dealt with that stuff that later God could use him because had Joseph come out revengeful, God could not have used him to save many lives, to feed thousands of people. He could not have used him in that way. You don't always have control 
over the circumstances of your life. Many of us don't. And some of us hate that. But we hate the fact that we're not in control. We hate the fact that someone else dictates our time, what we can do with our money, what we can do with, our, with our, even our gifts. We, 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 some of us really struggle with it. Joseph had no control over what he did. He had total control over how he responded to stuff. though. Total control. And you and I have total control over our responses. Circumstances may treat us unfairly. They may be unjust. And you may be perfectly right. I was treated unfairly there. That was, that was unjust. And you might be right. But actually, are you going to respond in a way that's going to bring life, that God can use? Are you going to respond in a way that's going to kill you? But inside. We know this, don't we? God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He's interested in the heart. He's interested in your heart. He's not interested in the circumstances. You might go, what do you mean? I need you to be interested in the circumstances because they're what interests me. He's interested in your response to stuff. He's interested in whether you take it to him. He's interested in whether you pray, you pray prayers. God, I need you to protect my heart right now because I'm feeling angry. I can see that the enemy could get in here right now because I have been treated unjustly. Or I'm getting angry because these people are treating these people badly. That's making me angry, God. You need to protect your heart because that's how God uses you. God uses people whose hearts are protected because when they, when, when they come out, they're not going to do things that they shouldn't do. They're not going to take advantage of power or authority. You don't find Joseph taking advantage of the power he was given. He doesn't use it for his own ends. He uses it. There's one point where it talks about, and then Joseph, and then the whole of the known world came to Joseph for food. So I finish with this, this question. How do I respond to negative stuff that happens to me? How do I respond to unfair and unjust in my heart, do I trust him or do I fight? Do I trust him or do I fight? It's a really simple question. That's where the battle is. The battle isn't in the circumstances. The battle in the end is in the heart. Let's pray. encourage you to close your eyes for a moment just to focus focus on him sometimes it feels like a like a bit of an odd preach to talk about harassment and yet in the end it always comes down to the heart whether you're sitting right there now and you're, you're battling stuff, you're fighting stuff. It might be that you're just battling the idea that you shouldn't battle because you think, no, I can't, I can't allow that injustice to go ahead. What about other people? Do you know what? God is bigger. Had Joseph fought the fact that he was unjustly treated, millions of people, thousands of people would not have been fed. 
in the end, God's purposes were bigger than his hardship. And God's purposes are bigger than your hardship. And sometimes he uses your hardship in order that you can then use what he teaches you to help others. Sometimes that's what he does. So Father, I just want to pray for us. Lord, you know every heart here. You know every situation. Father, you know, Father, whether there are people here who have been mistreated, they've been treated unfairly, they have been harassed, they've been sexually harassed. God, you know, you know. You know what's in people's hearts. And Father, this morning I want to pray. I want to pray for the healing of the heart this morning, God. I want to pray for hearts that have been damaged by a battle, by anger, to be healed today, to be restored today, to be brought back into line today. And I want to pray, Father, that there will be people today who give their battles over to you. They stop fighting it for themselves. They stop trying to be their own vigilante, their saviour of their own stuff. And they look to you as the saviour of the world. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will do a deep work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Okay, we're going to, we are going to sing a song just to finish. And um, as Owen was speaking, I really felt it was broader than just the one issue perhaps that's in Joseph as he was saying. And, um, I talked to some of you last week, and you remember I was saying I've been through quite a tough time at work. It's exactly on this, this type of thing where people target you. They specifically target you because they see something that God's doing. And I don't believe there's many of us probably in this place that haven't suffered because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy the very thing that God wants to purpose through our lives. So I want to open the altar this morning. And I just wrote down, I said, you know, there's bullying, there's harassment, we can feel attacked. The circumstances where you feel targeted, you're battered. And I just wrote, there's actions, there's words, there's jealousy and envy. And Owen said something last week. He said, the same gift that provoked jealousy, that was the jealousy of the brothers in, in Joseph. And even the jealousy of his position, as we saw with Potiphar's wife and his looks, ultimately, because of how he reacted, it provided life. And he saved a nation. I feel that the, the altar's open for, particularly for people to come and just to let go. Actually, just to let go of stuff, to release it. Actually, to forgive people and to bless those who have persecuted us. That is a command of Jesus. It's an opportunity just as we have taken communion to come forward to the cross, as it were, and give things up. We started this morning saying this. I uh, spoke of what faith is. In the Amplified Version, it says this, faith is the leaning of the whole human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in His power, His wisdom, and His goodness. Maybe we just need to let some stuff go and just, as Joseph did, put our faith in Him. So, if any of you would like to receive some prayer, 
then do come forwards. We're going to sing a song and then we'll close the meeting. stand together. Oh God of love, I come to you again, knowing our fine mercy. I can't explain all the things I see, but I'll trust in you. Every moment you are there Watching over you, hear my prayer You go before me, you're behind me Nothing's hidden from you How good is to be loved by you, how good it is, and how good it is to be loved by you, how good it is. Sing, O oh God of love. <laughs> 